Last week we began a study through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Today we pick back up in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. These words from the book of Ecclesiastes are written by the wise preacher. The preacher is the name that the author calls himself throughout the book. I, I think Solomon's authorship is clear, but some disagree. But the thing that we should all agree on, and the reason that we come to this text, is that it is the Word of God. This is a profitable text breathed out by God for the benefit of his people. So we come with reverence and we come hearing the word of the living God. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses one through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit or what advantage hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abides forever. And also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place where it rises again. The wind goeth toward the south, then turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits, or according to its circular course. Verse 7, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Verse 8, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The things that hath been, the, the, verse 9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see? This is new. It hath already been of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on us as we consider this portion of your word. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would give us mercy even as you speak the truth to us through your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have said. And God, we pray that you would draw us to Christ. Saving sinners, sanctifying saints. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As we come to the text of Ecclesiastes, we need to be aware of the type of literature that we read. In the Bible, there are books of different kinds. There are books of history. You may think of Genesis or Exodus. You may think of the Gospel of Luke as an example of a, a book that tells us of history. There are books of doctrine and instruction like the epistles, letters written to the Romans and the Philippians and the Galatians. There are books of poetry, books of wisdom like Psalms, Proverbs, and the focus of our study, Ecclesiastes. We err when we forget what type of literature we read. There are some who read Genesis and in an effort to make the scripture fit into the beliefs that they have adopted from the world, uh, some have decided that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are just allegory, just symbolic fable and not historical truth. But they do so, first of all, to their own detriment and second of all, with no warrant to read a book of history in that way. So they err in doing that. In the same way, some come to texts like the Psalms, where we read of God's nostrils and God's ears and God's breath and God's voice. And, and some decide, well, God must be like a man in physical appearance. But we have to remember that this is figurative language and we err by taking figurative language literally by forgetting that the scripture is clear, the scripture which cannot contradict itself tells us that God is spirit. So in the same way, if we come to Ecclesiastes and we forget the genre of literature which we read, we'll become confused or misled. There are two examples, at least today in our text. And I'll point out the first one now. Look at verse four. One generation passes away and another comes. I, it just strikes me as I consider uh, this congregation today and those who are very, very young who are here and those who are very, very not young who are here. We see the truth of scripture. One generation passes away and another comes. But it says here, but the earth abides forever. First of all, we know that the Bible, which cannot contradict itself, teaches us that the world is passing away and all its lusts. The day will come when the earth will be burned up, when all that we know will be dissolved. Peter asks in his second letter, speaking of that day, what kind of people we should be in holy conduct and in godliness, knowing that that day is coming where this earth will be destroyed. And we remember that John the Revelator saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. So we know that this earth is passing away and we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So the clear teaching is the earth is temporary. All that we know will be passing away. So how do we read verse four when we see the earth abides forever. We have to remember that this is not history that we are reading. This is not doctrinal statements. This is 
wisdom poetry and we come to this wisdom poetry and we see that this statement is made from the perspective of human life here on earth the earth was here clicking along when i got here and when i'm gone the earth will still be here clicking along in the same way we look at history about six thousand years since God made all things by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Now don't Google that. Because if you Google that, you'll get messed up with millions and billions and trillions of years. The earth is about 6,000 years old since in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in 6,000 years, my life and your life is just a blip on the timeline of humanity. My life is not even 1% of the time. So from the human perspective, from, from our experience, we could say the earth abideth forever. And that's exactly what is being said here by the preacher. The point made is not a historical or a doctrinal statement, but a proverbial wisdom about the brevity of man in the continuing march of time. We're here, but for a moment, one generation passes away, another comes along, and the earth abideth forever. So taking note of how we are to read Ecclesiastes and these type of statements, we come to the text Last week we looked at verse, uh, the first three verses and we noted that, uh, and I want to remind us that the word that we have translated here, vanity, this word that is used 38 times in the book, might, we might best understand it as being vapor or breath. It speaks to the ephemeral nature of life on earth. Life cannot be grasped. It is fleeting. There is worth. There is fulfillment, there is meaning to life, but it's all temporary. All things under the sun are of temporary value, momentary fulfillment, and only brief benefit. Now we're very careful to say that, that there is value, there is fulfillment, there is benefit, but we have to qualify that. It's temporary value, momentary fulfillment, brief benefit. Now we come to verse 3 and the preacher continues this line of thinking that vanity of vanities, all is vanity, it's all a vapor. This is what life is. And in verse 3 he asks this question, what profit or what advantage hath man of all his labors which he taketh under the sun? Now as we consider this, I would like you to consider your life. Most of you uh, who are listening are well into life you have had things that you have done and accomplished and there are other things that you probably hope to accomplish some of you are just starting out some of you are very young and there are many things that you hope to accomplish in this life i want to remind you whatever you accomplish whatever fulfillment you find whatever value you find whatever benefit you find it will be brief in studying this and asking this question, what profit has a man in all his labors, all the labor that he does under the sun? I've considered this verse 
and have the opportunity to think back on my life. I'm 52 years old, and that is the oldest I have ever been. And by God's grace, it's not as old as I will be, but it is the oldest I've ever been. And, and in 52 years, I have had hopes and dreams and goals and ambitions. Now, now hopes and dreams and goals and ambitions are not necessarily characteristic of the older generation. Those things are more clearly seen in younger people. So I'm, I'm confident here that those who are young men, those who are young women, you have your own aims, your own hopes, your own aspirations and objections for uh, objections, objectives. Maybe you have objections. That's more of an old people thing, but <laughs> objectives in life. <laughs> you have desires for your life. Sometimes we have desires that are Sometimes we have desires that are really silly. When I think about desires and, and those things that you think you're going to accomplish when you get older, I, I think about a friend of mine. Some of you will know, you would know him if I called his name. Uh, I remember when he turned 30, he told me on his birthday, I thought I'd be driving a Jaguar by now. I thought I'd be richer. I thought, I would, I thought I'd have more money in a nicer car. Sometimes our goals, our ambitions are silly things. But, but he was stating that, that he had just begun at 30 years old to taste the disappointment that comes with life's missed expectations. I, I thought it would be different. I, I tell people, I tell people who are going to be married and we do premarital counseling there are things that <laughs> it's kind of funny <laughs> there are things that you will get into marriage that you will say this is not what I thought it was going to be like and maybe you say this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be like life in marriage life in in our career life in life in every aspect is filled with disappointments now, sometimes our expectations of life are unreasonable. Sometimes we have failed to put in the work to realize our goals, to accomplish the things that we have said. Sometimes we put in the work, but we just experience life's hard blows, which knock us down. Such is life. But as I've considered this week, I've looked back at my life and, and I can clearly see the mercy and the blessing of God because there are things that there are things at which I took aim, many targets that I set for myself and I was able to accomplish them. I, I won't bore you by going into what those things were, but to suffice it to say that I was able to obtain many of the things that I set my sights on and, and some of those things at a very young age. They were things that the world promised me would be satisfying. The world promised get to this point and you'll be happy. Accomplish this and you'll be content. You'll find rest. And though I achieved, though I obtained, 
I was not more happy. I was not more content. And I found no rest. As I, as I look back then at everything that I did, everything that I built, everything that at the time I was so proud of, now I can stand before you today and say it's all been undone. It's all been torn down. It's all been replaced by someone else's work. Now, I worked in computer software, and so we all know that what I developed in 1996 was obsolete and, and out a very short time after that. I have wished over my life, as, as I have considered for a long time, that everything that I had accomplished in that uh, career has been undone and torn down and replaced. I, I have wished that I could build something more enduring, build something more lasting. Some of you know that we're building the house. Someone said, how involved are you in building this house? Really involved. One of the things that I want to do is I want to build my house. I, I'm not paying somebody to build the house. I want to do it. I think of how my grandfather who built homes and churches, most of the things that he built are still being used today. That's better than a computer programmer, right? But even those things that my grandfather built and after his death, they're still being used. Those things will not last. Most of those buildings that he built have been remodeled, have been updated, have been refreshed. And there will come a day that they will be torn down so that something else can go in their place. What, what I have done comes up vanity, vapor. All that work, whew, all that work. Think of the work of my grandfather. Now, I have a friend who's an ER doctor. What could be more fulfilling? What could be more enduring? What could be more important? That's what we're really getting at here is, right? We, we think of ourselves, we think of our careers, we think of our function in life, and we think of it as its level of importance. And I think we all like to think that what we do is pretty important. I have a friend who's an ER doctor, and as he goes to work, he says, well, I'm going to try to postpone death for a while. <laughs> That's kind of his personality. But he's saying in that, even what he does, even that important work is not enduring. If he saves someone's life today, they will die. <clears throat> what he does is not lasting. I, I would encourage you to think of your life, to think of your accomplishments, to think of your goals and aspirations. There is meaning, there is value, there is fulfillment. But it is temporary. It is temporary. So often we lay up for ourselves treasure on earth that we cannot hold on to. Moth and rust corrupts and thieves break in and steal. If tomorrow you had instantly everything that you could ever want for, it wouldn't be over. Verse 3. What? Profit. What 
problem. Now that's not P-R-O-P-H-E-T. This is P-R-O-F-I-T. This is an accounting term. What profit? And, and what we see, we hear this word today. We hear this in business. Net profit. Right? There are ups and downs. There are ups and downs. And, and maybe you can look in one day and say, look at the profit. That's not the question that the preacher is asking about. Is there profit today or will there be profit tomorrow? He's asking what net profit at the end of your life. What net profit is there in all that you work for? Matthew 16 asks a similar question. What profit is there if you gain the whole world? If you gain the whole world, what, what is the net profit? If somehow you were able to attain all the success in the world, obtain all the riches of the world, garner all the praise of the world, you can't keep it. You can't hold on to it. But one wise person said, more is never enough. Isn't that true? More is never enough. And Pascal said, our will, although it should obtain its largest wish, would always keep us in uneasiness. That's the way it is for me today. That's the way it was for my grandfather in his day. That's the way it was for Pascal in the 1600s. And that's the point that is being made by the preacher in our text that was written some 3,000 years ago. So verse Four tells us from generation to generation to generation, seemingly without end, this is the plight of man. We are never in this world under the sun in net profit. We are never at rest. Solomon goes on to illustrate this point by personifying nature. And he does this in verse five with the sun in verse six with the wind in verse seven with the rivers. So we consider first the sun. The sun rises, he says in verse five, the sun rises and the sun sets. It hastens to the place. It rises it to its place. It rises there again. It hastens. It's, it's hastening to its place. This word gives us the idea of panting. Now, if you've ever seen me run, you know what panting is. It's, there's, there's work, there's effort that has been put forth. And, and the sun hastens to its place. There's work, there's effort being done here. Now, now we know, we, we say the sun rises, but we know the sun is not rising, the earth is rotating. But from our perspective, under the sun, we look up and we see the sun rise in the east and set in the west. All that work, all that labor, all that effort, all that energy expended to rise in the east and get all the way over there to the west. And then the next morning, where's the sun? Back in the east. All that labor, all that work, and where? Well, you're right back where you started. That's, that's how the sun is. Day in, day out, not a single day of vacation, not a minute of rest. That's how it is with the sun. And verse six, it goes, the wind, <coughs> excuse me, it goes south, it goes north, it whirls about continually, especially if you're in freedom. The wind is always blowing at Charles place. You can tell because of the word words out there. The wind blows day in and day out and never finds rest. 
Verse 7, the rivers flow. They flow from the mountains to the oceans. They start as a trickle, grow into a stream, then rivers larger and larger, and there is constant motion, constant work moving toward the ocean day in and day out, never stopping, no rest to be found. And verse 8 reminds us that all things are full of labor. All things are full of labor. Now, the young people, it might take you a while. I, I hear people say, it's my day off. It's my day off. Well, I got to tell you, you don't have a day off. I mean, you think you work five days and then you're off. But, but no, the way it is, is you work five days for your job. And then you work for your husband. You work for your wife. You work for your mother. You work for your father. You work for your children. Or you work for yourself. There's never a time when work stops. Have you noticed that even when you take the time to do something relaxing? Let's just go fishing. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going? That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Getting everything ready, getting out there. Oh, we forgot to get, but we gotta get bait. We gotta get, we gotta fix the fishing pole from the last time. We got there's so much work to get there, and then hopefully there's work cleaning fish. Right? And hopefully that's the that's the goal. And then you gotta put everything away. It's exhausting. This thing that we say, let's do something relaxing, is exhausting. I was thinking about what would be relaxing. Maybe just uh man, just just having some smoked brisket. Now when I go to Cruz's house, that's relaxing for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Cruz does not have the easy bake oven of smokers. <laughs> this man is working for that smoked meat. Now, now, there is a sense of relaxation that we might find, but there's work that goes into everything that we do. The only thing so that I can think of that wasn't work are things that will kill you. I mean, sit on the couch and do no work and you will be dead. You will die. Because life is filled with work. <laughs> Some people try to avoid work. I can tell you from experience, avoiding work is a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work to avoid work. Life is filled with work. The work never stops. And verse 7 gives us another insight. Not only does the work never stop, this cycle of work, this cycle of labor, it gives us another insight. The sea, it says, is never full. All the work never fills up. And again, this is, this is presented as an illustration for how life is for fallen humanity under the sun. No matter how much we work, more is never enough. Too much, I heard someone say, too much is just about right. <laughs> more is never enough. That guy was talking about pouring concrete. Too much is always just, just right. But in life, I've never heard someone say there was too much. We don't get there. The more we work, the more we work, the more we work, it's still not filled up. And verse eight tells us it completes the thought for us. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. The ear is never filled with hearing. Now there's, there's power in these things, these illustrations that he gives us, the, the sun and the, the wind and, and the rivers. We, we think of these things and there's power in these illustrations and these pictures that he gives us. The, the solar farms and the wind farms that are popping up all around us 
remind us that there is power in the sun and the wind. But we sometimes, especially living in this area, we forget that there's power in the rivers as well. Um, <laughs> now, I grew up in Louisiana where we had big rivers. Here, when we moved to Texas, I told somebody in Texas, any trickle of water, they dam it up, make a lake, <laughs> and the rivers are tiny. <laughs> but we, we have rivers that have power. Did you know nearly 20% of the world's electricity is generated by moving water? There's power. Why can we count on power being generated by moving water. Why can we count on that? Why is it reliable? Because the oceans are never full. Because it never stops. Because there's a cycle of work, a cycle of work, a cycle of work, and it's never filled up. And with us, our eye never says, that's enough seeing, and our ear never says, I'm done with hearing. More is never enough. And sometimes we think of this endless work cycle, the ceaseless nature of man's labor. And sometimes we go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, I want us to point out something that's very important for us. Work is not the result of the fall of man. Some of you think it is. Some of you think work is the result of the fall. It's not. There was work before the fall. What is the result of the fall is the toiling. It's the difficulty of work. It's the sweat of the brow. It's the obstacles of work, the thorns and the thistles. Those things, work is natural to man before the fall. The toil of work, the labor of work, and, and this cycle that it never ceases, this is a result of the fall. The weariness of work is the result of sin. Now one preacher in Addressing this text says this is the real circle of life this work circle now we think of um, The Lion King right and we get this romantic idea of the circle of life No, the circle of life is this never-ending revolution of labor This never-ending cycle Another man called it the dust to labor to dust cycle because that's where we are right we we came from the dust to the dust We will go in in the middle work Charles Bridges refers to this tired cycle of labor as a weary go round. A weary go round. I liked it so much I said, we'll name this sermon a weary go round. It describes it so well. Verses 9 through 11 drive the nail in the coffin, as it were, that we are on a weary go round. The things that have been. Uh, the thing that hath been is the thing which shall be. The thing which is done is the thing that shall be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything where we may be uh, of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been of old time. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be remembrance of things that are to come. I didn't put a lot of that in the sermon, but let me just ask you about remembering the things of old. Now, some of you are history buffs. I wonder how many of us know the names of our great-great-grandparents. Just their names. Now, I know the names of my grandparents and I know the names of my great-grandparents if I think about it a minute, but our great-great-grandparents, and what did they do? 
What did they accomplish? What were their goals? You see the, the vapor, the vanity, the futility that is here. The weary go round keeps turning. Constant movement combined with constant sameness. The work never ends. We are as far from rest as the sun, as the wind, and as the rivers which flow to the oceans. Someone said labor, not rest, is man's portion. It's always been this way. We know that there are new things, right? I mean, this text tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There are, there are new things. I've heard old timers speak of the first light bulb in their house. <laughs> that was a new thing. That was a big day. Uh, not so long ago, I heard my mother speaking about, I remember the first indoor plumbing we had. That's just my mother's generation. Not so long ago, horses and mules would outnumber automobiles in town. And now we have so many automobiles. Now we have air travel. Now we have space travel. <laughs> so many things are new. We think of new things, microprocessors and computers and how that has changed the world. We, we think of the, uh, the process of going from telegraphs to telephones to cellular, mobile phones to now we've got smartphones that are too smart. There are new things. But in all the new things, in all the new stuff that we come up with, does it change the endless cycle of work? Does it change the weary go round? No new thing brings satisfaction and fulfillment any more than the old thing did. All our new things, they only bring momentary gratification. The new iPhone is going to be the greatest thing for about a month. Then you'll be thinking about, I wonder when they're going to make a new iPhone. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun that satisfies, that fills up. We're, we're not completed by any of the things under the sun. This message of the weary go round, it's not just unique to Ecclesiastes. We find the same truth elsewhere in Scripture. Psalm 127 says this Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchmen keep watch in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, it is vain to sit up late to eat the bread of painful labors. Now, when I was a teenager, it is vain to rise up early. That was my life verse. But this is not just about don't get up early, right? This is about getting up early, staying up late and working all day, which is what our life is. And the psalmist tells us it's vanity. It's vain. It's vapor. Laboring to build a house or to build a home, to keep a city safe or to watch over your family, getting up early, staying up late. It's all the same motion of the weary go round. And preacher, I thought you told us last week that Ecclesiastes was not going to be depressing. I thought this study was going to be an encouragement to us. What has happened? Well, we're seeing that the book of Ecclesiastes is honest with us. And, and at this point in our study, the truth, the truth cuts a little. At this point, we may feel like we will never be satisfied on the weary go-round of life. 
We may think that contentment and peace is nowhere to be found under the sun. And if that's what you're thinking, you're on the right track. That's exactly where the preacher wants us to be. This is where he's leading us. The man with his eyes set on the world under the sun, that man will never find lasting joy and peace. What profit is there if you get all that the world can offer, but then all you have is what the world offers? What happens if you gain the world, but you lose your own soul? What happens if you don't have eternal life? Bridges says the man of the world may be orthodox in his creed and moral in his practice, but he has stumbled at the very threshold. He places the world before God. He places the body before the soul. He places time before eternity. I fear that that's how so many of us live. Placing the world, the body, and time before God, the soul, and eternity. Unless the Lord builds, labor is in vain. Your labor today will only bring you to the same place tomorrow. So where is their peace? Where is their comfort? How do I find any meaning on the weary go round of life? Well, we have to look not under the sun. We have to look above the sun. We have to look beyond this world. What is the new thing? where we will find satisfaction. There is an answer. The new thing where we will find satisfaction and fulfillment and meaning is the resurrection of Christ. The new thing where we will find completeness and fulfillment is the new creation that he makes of each sinner who believes in Christ Jesus repenting of their sin. The new thing that we look for is the new heavens and the new earth which he will bring in the age to come. There is a new thing that will satisfy and it's found in Christ. So where do we find rest? The sun doesn't rest. The wind doesn't rest. The rivers don't rest. Man's labors under the sun are never done. But Matthew 11, Jesus beckons all those who labor, who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. We find our rest in him. We will never find rest under the sun, S-U-N. We find our rest in the sun, S-O-N. Under the sun, we are never full. We are never satisfied. But in John 6, Jesus says, he who comes to me will not be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. There's satisfaction in Christ. We only, we only find satisfaction in Christ. There are Christians here. You know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you have allowed your eyes to be taken off focus from him and, and to focus on the things under the sun. You'd say, well, I don't, I don't have the house. I don't have the car. I don't have the job. I don't have the bank account. I don't have the status. I don't have the pleasures that I want. 
and you started seeking fulfillment, you started seeking to be filled up in the things under the sun. You forgot that this world is a weary-go-round. You've been behaving like the world is all there is. You've been behaving like what's under the sun is all there is. You know it's not true. So stop acting like that. Why are you trying to fill your pockets with vapor? Why are you trying to fill your purse with steam? Why are you trying to be satisfied with vanity? I mean, enjoy it for a moment. But don't find your fulfillment. You need a reality check. You need to get your eyes back on the Savior. Get your mind back on the kingdom and on the battles that we face. Christians, stop being surprised and then devastated that this world is filled with vanity. God told us that before you were ever born. Some of you here have your eyes focused on the things under the sun because that's the only thing you know. You have not believed the God of the universe. You have not acknowledged his holiness. You have not acknowledged your own sinfulness. You have not believed on Jesus Christ repenting of your sin. For you, the despair of the weary go round is more real because unless you repent, this is the best life you'll ever know. I mean, if you think about books titled Your Best Life Now, that's only true for the lost person. <coughs> lost person, unless you turn to Christ, this world of vapor and vanity as good as it gets. Sinner, hear the call of Jesus today. You who labor, you who are weary, you who are weighed down by the cares and frustrations of the world, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He is the only source of rest. He is the only hope for you. And we consider this rest we consider fulfillment, but there's a bigger problem. He's the only source of forgiveness for sin. He is the only one who can clothe you with the righteousness required to stand before a holy God. Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is the only hope for any of us who live now under the sun. The conclusion when all this has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to everyone. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply these things to our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us, your people, where we have gotten our eyes off of you, off of your, your holiness, off of your completeness, where we have decided to no longer be satisfied by you and we have sought satisfaction in so many vain and empty places. 
God, forgive us, convict us of this sin and help us, help us, strengthen us to look beyond this world, to look beyond the sun, to look to eternity and to look to our Savior. God, we pray for those who are lost without Christ you would convict them of their sin, that you grant them faith and repentance, draw them to Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy and precious name. Amen.